what I tried to do in the past was I'd get up between 2.30, 3.30 in the morning and write for two, three hours and then go to work or go to class, but that's just because my schedule dictates that. Um, I work, you know, a 8 to 5 job and then I go to school from 8 to 5, so it's like mornings is the only time I have to actually think and be awake. When I get home, I'm just burnt out from the day. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Cody Pointer, a poet from Baltimore, Maryland. Born in Dundalk, Maryland, he made his way to the Eastern Shore, where he studied film and media production at Salisbury University. After a year, he moved back across the Chesapeake Bay, where he is now currently studying creative writing at Towson University. And that switch appears to be paying off. His collection of poems, The Singing Heart, was recently published by Underwater Mountains in March of 2016. Welcome to the podcast, Cody. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm, I think at this point we can officially say that you have you are our farthest uh, traveling uh, person to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, we, we've not had anybody come from, come from this far away. But um, and I think maybe you're also our first poet. I think. Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a really high bar. Yeah. I'll try to fill it. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so one of the things I want to kind of hit, you know, sort of right away is I follow you on Instagram. And you do a lot of um, your poet, your poetry on a typewriter, which I find, you know, you're a young guy, but you're using this kind of old school medium. So what is, how does, how does that, that function for you? Because for me, I mean, I love a typewriter. I think they're beautiful. I think there's an aesthetic to them. I think that there's just something about that clacking of the keys. But I just wanted to ask you about that because I, I don't know of anybody else that's really kind of going in that direction. Well, it started because I was younger and I was like, I would like a typewriter just for the sake of having one. Yeah, the cool factor. Yeah. Um, but then I found out after my friend got me my first electric one for Christmas a couple years back that it's a really good form of isolation. Um, I get really distracted when I use a laptop because there's so many different things I can get into. But when I sit down at a typewriter, that's just me and whatever I'm producing. There's no, nothing else in the way that can possibly intervene unless someone bangs on my door or... You know, my dogs start barking, but... Well, no, I had never really thought of it that way, but that that is a point. It's just, you know, you and the machine. Yeah. And it's very cool. When you say the dog's barking, um, I have uh, I have two dogs, and they bark a lot, and sometimes I'm when I'm when I'm starting to get into a groove, I'm like, you should get out of here, because if someone comes to the door, they're going to bark, and you're, and you're going to throw a tantrum, and I never do, and I always throw the tantrum, and it's gotten to the point where I'm like, you know, learn learn the lesson, like, isolate yourself, mm. and, and do the work. Now, do you, do you, do you set aside a, a time? Do you like, okay, tonight I'm going to work, or do you feel like when you're ready to work, you just have to go find your space? Uh, generally I try to set a routine. Um, I read Stephen King's on writing a couple months back and he stressed the point of having a routine as many other writers I've read do. So what I tried to do in the past was I'd get up between two thirty, three thirty in the morning and write for Whoa. two, three hours and then go to work or go to class. But that's just because my schedule necessitate or dictates that. Um, I work, you know, a eight to five job. And then I go to school from 8 to 5, so it's like mornings is the only time I have to actually think and be awake. When I get home, I'm just burnt out from the day. 
Right. So when you're, so when you are doing, how did you kind of come to marry Instagram and the typewriter? You know, these, these, I mean, honestly, they're beautiful. Um, when I follow them, I mean, number one, they're, they're gorgeous photos. The, the, the words that are there are really fantastic. But then I feel like you've kind of married these two mediums. And I think that's, I, I think that's really interesting, but I was just wondering like, how, how did you kind of arrive at doing that? Or was it just kind of like, you know what, I wrote this thing, snap a picture and, and then it kind of went from there. Um, I was using like uh, WordPress and trying to screenshot and then put it, but that was too complicated. And then I can't take credit for doing this. Um, many other people have started at Instagram poetry or Insta poets, um, which most of underwater underwater's clients came from that. So I was like, you know what? I'll do it too. Why not? And it paid off to some extent. Yeah. Well, last night when I was <clears throat> getting ready to do some, you know, preparing for the, you know, a little bit for your bio, I was, I went and looked at your Instagram and I was like, Oh my gosh, he's got like 2,500 people that are following him on Instagram. I think I have like three people that follow me on Instagram. But I mean, I was like, that, that seems to be, I think that that does seem to kind of speak to that sense of community that people are connecting, you know, right in in that medium. So, I mean, how did you get twenty five hundred people to follow an Insta poet? Uh, someone higher than me liked one of my photos, and right. from there, it just kind of I got five hundred overnight. And I woke up, I was like, "What the hell just happened?" <laughs> and from there, I just slowly kept a a good pace of, I guess, followers until recently when I decided to step away from Instagram as a platform. Uh, for poetry, for publication reasons. Oh, gotcha. It makes sense. So that is, you don't want to put old stuff up there and you don't want new stuff up there because you can't use it once it's out. Yeah. I mean, I could put something new up there, uh, but I would have to heavily edit it it and pretty much tear it to pieces from what is actually there, and I don't like doing that. Right. Um, I feel like you lose a lot of the energy and the emotion that originally goes into the piece when you're writing it. So um, sometimes it's good. More so what I'm working on now, I have to do that because it's more conceptual than just emotional. Um, but for emotions, yeah, definitely editing kind of ruins that after a while. Yeah, I would think. I mean, it's. I mean, I'm not a poet, and when I did, when I was a poet, I was a terrible poet. But one of the things that I do sort of appreciate is that, and I especially appreciate it about your work, is that word choice. You know, when you have a poem, you have a, like a limited amount of time and space to kind of drive this thing home. So word choice. An arrangement is really important, so I think it would be hard to like do that and get it really well, and then be like, "Yeah, now I've got to cut it in half or rearrange it or make it something different just to post it." It's definitely hard to gauge what belongs and what doesn't. Uh, some people have, you know, some intuition to where they can just do it, you know, automatically. I don't. Uh, once it's there, I'm like, oh, I don't want to touch it. Right. Don't know what else to do. But uh, you play around with it. Sometimes it works. Other times it doesn't. It, it, it's a odd exchange you have yeah, to do. You mentioned earlier uh, getting up very early. I, I also I get up and write early. And Stephanie was mentioning this week she had the experience. Um, yes, it is. There is the practical reason, but also it's uh, it's it's so silent. Oh yeah. Before I've got I've got a wife. I've got kids. I've got a dog. And if I want two hours of quiet, I have to pick the least popular two hours in the house. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, Tony and I were talking a couple of days ago, like I, I've, I'm just getting over a cold and there was one night where I get, I don't know if it was a cold medicine or what, but I just ended up not being able to sleep. So I was awake the entire night and I remember it was like four o'clock in the morning came and I was like, 
yep, this is as good a time as any to start writing. And I was really productive for about two and a half hours. And I thought, oh, I can't tell Tony he's right. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but but I wanted to kind of um, switch a gear right quick. I want to talk about um, the singing heart in this collection and how did uh, how did you come to this? How did you kind of what was your process? Did you find underwater mountains? Did they find you? How did you? Um, well, I found them on Instagram because, as I said before, that is their platform that they were recruiting people for or from. And uh, I reached out to them, submitted a manuscript. They said, "Hey." you're not really big enough to go through us, but we're opening up a smaller company called 451, um, which is like a sub press of theirs. Submit there and we will absolutely take you. So I did. They accepted me. And then a year later, I had this. The whole three months of summer that I put into the book and a couple months afterwards, I didn't know what how to do it. Like, never written a book before, especially poetry. Didn't know if I wanted to do sections, one short collection, a big collection as it is. I mean, it's 300 pages. Um, but then I decided to do it more as like a, uh, a, a chrono- chronological order of my work. Um, sure. part one is a lot of older stuff that I wrote, you know, when I was 18, 19, part two, 1920, part three, 2021, and so on. It's, it's weird because people don't think of poets as like doing work. You know, they think of them as waiting, waiting to be touched by the muse, and then dancing off and doing it. But like sitting down, it's like, okay, I've got a deadline. Time mm-hmm. to knock out some poetry. And do, is is that is that? Are you comfortable working that way? Like just just like the rest of us, just sit down and and beat the hell out of it until it's until it's ready. Uh, it depends on the context. Um, a lot of the stuff I had for the singing heart was already written. I just had to heavily edit it. Um, the beginning at least, but a lot of the end stuff is just how it was written. I just left it as is, you know. Um, but I'm working on a new collection now that revolves around absence. Um, the centerpiece is dust and, you know, it coats things when we're not there. So what does it look like when nobody is in that room? Kind of peeling away from uh, Jacob's room a little bit, which I read this past year or something. Um I just talked myself out of the question. <laughs> no, no, no. no the, the, the question was: You're working on a book now. Is it you, do you? Are you hammering it out in the morning, or are you thinking about it during the day and hoping you have something when you get up and sit down to work? Hammering it out in the morning. Um, you have to get down the words, and as I said, because it's more of a, it's more of a direct, connected piece than just individual sections. You have you have a general idea of what you want to write about, and you just have to kind of the way I'm doing it now is like situational. Like, what is what is a man without man? Um, what is an empty room? What is you know what happens when someone leaves and doesn't tell you that they're leaving? They just disappear. Like, what is disappearance? Um, so I have that in mind, and I just sit down and try to come up with scenarios that mock that in some way or mimic it. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, you, no, you had uh, spoken a moment before, and it kind of, I, I just wanted to, because I follow you on Instagram and all that, I noticed that you you do pay homage, I guess, a lot to a lot of your influences. Mm. Um, and one of them that I know is Bukowski. Yes. Being a, a big influence for you. So do you, do you when you're kind of, kind of going through, I mean, are those voices kind of echoing, or are they kind of driving any of the work, or? I think 
Subconsciously, yeah, they definitely do. Bukowski was one of the first writers I read when I was getting back into reading when I was 18 out of high school, didn't know what I was doing with life. So worked at Barnes & Noble's in the back room, seeing notes of a uh, Weinstein notes of an old man, uh, Love is a Dog from Hell, picked him up, started reading. I was like, I kind of like this. This is not poetry to me, but it is poetry. Um, and then from there, I just went and branched out. Uh, Raymond Carver's been a big influence as of recently with his poems because um, they're more story-esque than just uh, ev- like evocation of emotion. So that's kind of where I'm going with my, my new stuff. Gotcha. Uh, influences. Um, the way that influence works for me, and I want to know if it's similar for you, is I'm not so much influenced by their style so much as the turn of phrase it's like you see somebody do something with with a description or you see somebody do something interesting with a turn of phrase and mm. you're like, oh, that's right. You can do that kind of thing with words. And then you, you steal that, mm. but you steal the premise. You don't steal the, you don't steal the word. So, so the, the influence has more to do with seeing how they were able to change things. Yeah, I think right? it's like it's – like- how they approach the craft. I mean, that was one thing that I think that's what has drawn me to the writers that I like is uh, the the lyricism, the way that they kind of kind of roll certain words together. You know, that kind of speaks to me. And then other people, it seems too choppy. And I'm, you know, but I think it's that appreciation for a writer and how they're approaching their craft that kind of kind of you know that kind of not necessarily that it's. We don't plagiarize, but I think there is, you know, in the back of your mind, like, oh, well, you know, not that we want to emulate, but I don't know. I think there's something to it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a takeaway. I mean, you don't want to mimic the style because then it is bordering plagiarism to a very loose extent. Sure. Um, but like, well, you're also not being – you want to be original. Yeah. You're just seeing how other people have been original. Yeah. And so like uh, Kurt Vonnegut, because I'm reading Palm Sunday right now. I don't want to write short, childlike sentences. Really hard to write after reading Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. Very <laughs> depressing. Well, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to interrupt, but like, I, that's a cadence that I will steal. Like, I haven't read Kurt Vonnegut in years because yeah. when I read it, I steal that cadence. I cannot help myself. And, and it's clear. It's clearly, it's clearly a bad. So I, I had, a, I had to stop that. I haven't read a Kurt Vonnegut yeah. novel in probably four or five years because I, you're a Vonnegut knockoff. Yeah, because and, and it wasn't on purpose. It was just like you you get the rhythm and like you can't put, for me putting down one of his books and trying to write without that because you feel like he's there whispering in your ear. Like it's very very close and personal for me yeah. anyway. Right. And so and then I'm like whispering in your ear. I'm like, no, that's not how you write. Yeah. No. And I, I'm, I didn't mean to drop. Uh, you. Go ahead. You're fine. Um, <laughs> He'll do that. Just, he'll jump in. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I'm reading that, and I, I'm not writing short stories right now, which I'm actually trying to put a collection together. Um, but, you know, beside the point. From that, I don't take away the style, but his ideas of, you know, we need to be kind. Um, you need to be aware of, you know, community and all this other stuff. Uh, and then same goes with Raymond Carver, because I've been reading a lot of his poetry, as I said. There's one poem that I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's like it resonates in my head, and it's he took a bite of apple, put it down and watched it brown as like for like a metaphor of moving right. into old age. And I was like, that's brilliant. Like I would have never thought to apply something as simple as like biting an apple, watching it like brown and, you know, decay. So I try to do from that. I try to do more natural, like 
movements instead of just saying he got old. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, it's, and the, the, the cool thing about the apple is it's not putrefying. Mm-hmm. It's just it's, – it's actually no one would think of it as a decayed apple unless – in that, like yeah. you don't see, you don't see an apple go brown after ten minutes, and you're like, "Oh, that's decaying." I mean, it is decaying, yeah. but that's not how we think of it. But when you do think of it that way, it makes it softens. It. I mean, we don't. This isn't the Raven Raymond Carver podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's turning into it. It, soft, it softens the notion, right? Yeah, and then also brings out how how sad and how easily fixed that could have been yeah exactly. right i think and i think that's what that is when you i think that's what poets do they take these nuances and they pack them down really tight and they give you this this piece and then you have to spend all this time unpacking it you know and i think there's that that brevity that kind of comes comes sort of beautifully yeah absolutely now you had said earlier um that the this Book was the worst thing that ever happened to you, and I kept you from elaborating because I wanted to hear your answer uh, on, <laughs> online. Um, well, I—it's <laughs> the worst thing that happened to me in the sense of I have it out; it, it's there. I haven't really done much since, except for play around with some older stuff and do schoolwork, um, which for my fiction classes. But I, outside of it, I feel that. Now that it's out there, I have something out there. And in the back of my head, I'm like, don't believe that it's actually out there. But up front, it's like, it sits on my shelf. I see it and I'm, I can't write because I know I already have that. And maybe that's the best I can do, which I know isn't the case. But it's always that doubt that even if it's bad, it is the best I can do, you know? Right. And so how do you, how do you overcome that? Because you said you are working on something yes. now. So, so um, when did this book come out and how long did it take you? How, how long did I? Because I, I interrupted Stephanie for that very reason. You didn't get to hear me interrupt her either. But there's like <laughs> I feel like there's almost like a mourning period. Yeah. Like, so how long? How long did your mourning period last? And how did you get out of it? Um, still mourning. <laughs> uh, hoping to get out of it on Monday. But while this book was being published or going through the process of being published, I was working on other stuff. Um, not in like. Oh, I expect this to happen, but like, just you know, keep. It's, past what, it's time. what you do after yeah. a while, right? You just have to put it aside and keep moving forward. But once it actually physically came out, and I had a copy, I was like, "Yep, this is it." So I still haven't gotten over the morning period. Hoping slowly to try to get over it. Maybe by Monday, I'll be back in my routine. I just finished the semester, um, so I got to work that back in. Uh, so hopefully Monday, and then I'll be back to producing something well how convenient yeah Yeah, exactly no and and, and when we were talking earlier when tony did interrupt me i was saying that i could i could identify with that sense of so this really great thing happens you've published this work and then all of a sudden there's kind of like this this deflation right and i i could kind of connect with that because after winning the sophie kerr prize which they've just announced. I think that there is a, a new winner now. Um, but when they when they announced that and they said, "Okay, you've won the Sophie Kerr Prize," and there's, you know, I'm 22, and I've done the best I've ever done. You know, yeah. like I'm 22, I'm facing the rest of my life looking down the hill, going, "I'm never going to get that kind of that kind of recognition, the accolades. I'm never going to know if anything." And I think, but I think the scariest thing for me was, "I'm never going to know moving forward if what I've done." is that good again because there's no more Sophie Kerr prize committees in my right. future, yeah. you know? And so I went through probably 
a period of about a year and a half because the Sophie Kerr prize really takes you up high. I mean, that is a high, high peak to be on. And then it, the, the, the drop is pretty significant. Right. And so for about a year and a half, I went through a period where I would write something and I would just destroy it. And then I'd write another thing and I'd destroy it and I'd write something and I would just quit because I could not figure out how to overcome this sense of like, I don't, I don't know how to do that again. I don't know if I can do that work again, but after a while you just kind of realize that for me, I realized I don't want to go the rest of my life with, with nothing else coming from me. I don't want to spend the rest of my life being like, yeah, 22, you know, been there, done that, got the t-shirt and I move on and become a painter, yeah. <laughs> you know, like right, it just yeah. wasn't going to work. So I didn't, it's a fallout. I mean, just listening right now, that is the only thing that came to mind is, you know, you drop the bomb, which would be the publication, and then you got to wait for the dust to settle before you can do anything else. Some people will go in and, like, wade through it better than others. Some people don't, you know. You wear your suit and stay bunkered down waiting for something to happen, but you have to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, it's just th- hard to do. And I think, you know, you were... I mean, you're you know, young guy and you've got, you know, this came out. So I was 22 when I got the Sophie Kerr prize. And I think there's something to, to be said for early publishing success, you know, and that how, and then trying to figure out like how you're going to take those next steps to the next work that you're doing and then letting yourself evolve and then saying, well, if I evolve and then that was the other point, like if I, that I kind of struggle with. Like, what if I want to write fiction? Well, that's not what I won the award for. And then I was like, you're dumb. You can write whatever you want, whenever yeah. you want. And you can you're change You're a grown-up now. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm adulting the best I can. <laughs> well, and, and just from... I had, I had my own little, little humiliation last night that we were talking about. And that's, that's the difficulty for me is my, my second book just was published last week or earlier this month. And... Now you're in the exhausting part of just humping from place to place and trying to get like one person to buy the book or, yeah. or just going to go into these signings and sitting there like a schmuck. And it's just that's the exhausting part to me. So when you're thinking of your next book and I'm constantly thinking of like my next two or three books, I'm like, yeah, I, I want to write them. But then I don't want to have to. I don't have to do the after. The after work is exhausting. You need yeah. like a stunt double. You need like a book signing stunt double. The we'll Cyrano just... de Bergerac of <laughs> somebody thin and charming and, and to go out and to, and to talk and to draw people. And to, and yeah, to we'll get you. It'll be contact. like a Millie Vanilli for Tony. Yeah. Like, you, you'll <laughs> Tony be... Vanilli. <laughs> Tony Vanilli. There we go. So what was your, what was your experience with Hawking with Hawk the old book when you were done with it? Well, uh, I was actually going to comment on this. I... Set up, or I plan on setting up book signings. Uh, I used to work at Barnes and Noble, so they approached me like, "Hey, we'd love to get you in for a signing. You know, we're going to buy a co- bunch of copies. You know, so and so." So great. Um, a week after my book got published, there was a lot of controversy with the publishing company. Apparently, the president was sexually harassing his employees and the authors. And, oh gosh! Uh, wasn't paying royalties to some of the writers after their contracts were up. They weren't like they didn't pull the book from the shelf, so it was like a whole mess of stuff. And I'm like, great, I have to deal with this now. Right. Oh no! I just got this published. What do I do? Do I step down and pull my book? Do I just sit and let it happen? So I just kind of fell into this stasis of I don't know what to do. Um, ultimately, I had to cancel the book signing because unfortunately the publishing company dissolved, so book is no longer published. I had a book for three months. 
It's oh a good run, gosh. I guess. No, <laughs> the oh humanity. my gosh, yeah. I had no idea. So, and that added to the whole fallout of like, oh, I have a book published. Oh, it's not even really published anymore. So, like, I'm hoping that's going to be like a little bit of energy to, you know, get me back on the saddle, uh, so to speak. But yeah, I don't have any experience with, uh, you know, taking books around and carrying piles of books that hope to sell or sign. Yeah, no, that's that's well, one of that's I. If there is one advantage to being traditionally published, it's that you don't you don't have to carry you don't have to knock on very many doors. Um, the uh, you know they have a, they have a little tiny publishing pr- promotional person. They they have a girl, and I'm, I'm saying that derisively on purpose. Who sits who who sends emails to people? It says if you want to have an author come sign, let me know. Yeah. but it's still. Better than at, at least they mail the books. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. At least they have a guy whose paycheck is connected to making sure the books get mailed out, um, and that that takes that takes a lot of pressure off. So, um, so you've not you've not put together your your own your own personal reading tour or anything like that yet. Uh, no, I mean I plan on giving readings in the future now that I have more time. But for the sake of purchasing books, I'm not really pressed for doing much else than maybe doing readings here and there when they're offered for like open mic or something um which is terrifying because as you guys already heard and saw i was shaking and sweating (laughs) terribly during that so no worries you're not the you're not the first person to 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 do that i'm and i i have a reading story and i I know i've already said this on the podcast so i apologize in advance but i was doing a reading and found a typo in what i like i'm reading my book which has been published and been out for like two years i'm doing a reading and like I'm in front of all these people, find a typo, and then my brain just like took a hard left turn and <laughs> was like, you know, I was like in those movies, like in the submarine where like they get a warning and it's like the the red lights and the siren, you know? Yeah, the, ooh, yeah no, yeah, on. yeah, exactly. I just was like completely panicked in that moment. But live, I mean, reading in front of an audience is is hard. I mean, it it just is. I mean, unless you're Tony, but I mean, for 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 us mere mortals, like <laughs> reading in front of people is hard. I actually, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Would you like to? Would you like to hear a secret? Yes, tell us a secret. Yes. You have to be one billionth less scared than everybody else. And if you just remember that everyone is scared, and if you pretend one ounce more that you are less scared than they are, they think you're confident. My whole life has been like that, and now, and now you know my secret. But one <laughs> of the upsides, I think, of being in of being in Baltimore is like you you do have that kind of outlet. Like there are reading opportunities. Oh yeah! If you, if you choose to take advantage of them, you'd, you'd want to talk a little bit about the about the scene, if you will. Yeah, well, I mean, being in Baltimore, you there's plenty of like tea ha- or coffee houses, tea houses, um, bookshops, even that do. You just approach the owners, be like, hey, you know, like to do a reading, or they have open mics all the time, which is really nice. So you get a diverse range of, you know, from poetry to uh, slam poetry to actual like fiction readings from short stories, or even just like workshop readings like there's workshop groups all throughout baltimore where people get together and then at the end of the month they present what they have written to whoever's there um and then you have dc which is only 45 minutes to an hour depending on traffic and there you have bus boys and poets um i think there's a place called like black cat you can go to as well and i've i've actually done a reading at bus boys and poets before which was cool because that's a that's a pretty big venue and yeah. it was pretty full crowd when i read which right you know, whole another thing, but <laughs> and now, do you take your books along and sell them afterwards, like at a table in the front? Is that how that works, or no? <laughs> <laughs> 
I was just like, nope. Did it, did it not occur to the to the poets that you could also sell the books while you were there, or is that is that was that your choice, or is that not something they do? Well, just because I I had to buy my own copy of my book, so oh, I see. we're, oh, we're going to put that there. And um, also, when I did the reading, the book wasn't out yet, so I didn't have anything to uh, you know tell people about other than like, hey, follow me on Instagram if you want. Now, so, but you have the you you own you own the rights to it now. If the company's like. You could reprint it, like you could you could be in charge of your own reprinting. Is that something you've considered? Yeah, actually, I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, in July, I'm going to get my royalties check for the book, the sales reports for the book, and the rights back. Um, so when that happens, I'm going to you know look into some places. I actually thought about approaching you, Stephanie, and oh, seeing fantastic. something. I sent a postcard. I don't know if it ever came. Um, Probably not. I don't. I don't know. But I would. I would love to talk to you about that, though. One. One of the darkest days in my life was the was my first royalty check. Yeah. Because it was so tiny. <laughs> I wanted to throw myself off because I. <laughs> what What happened was I. Uh, my My royalties are from January to June, like everybody else. It's January mm-hmm. to June, and, but their their cutoff is December first, and my book came out on November twenty first, so. The only I got a check for like four hundred dollars, but that was just for the books that sold between November twenty first and December first. But I didn't know that. I just opened this because I've been doing all these readings. I've been going to all these yeah. places, so I opened this and I saw four hundred eighteen dollars or something like that. I'm like, okay, now I have to go kill myself. Nobody's <laughs> looking for me. I'll be hanging from the tree out back. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just it's just so tough. We were talking about this with one of with one of the other offers. With one of the other authors, there's that, and then there's the rejection letters. Those are oh, yeah. too brutal, brutal, and they never get less brutal. It, it, they're getting worse, if anything, because now <laughs> everything's automated. So you just submit, and then you know if you go through a quicker one, a mass, now mass. now a robot is telling you no. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> like I got rejected by a robot, man. That's tough. I think one of the best ones I saw is one of my professors brought in a stack of his rejection letters because he likes to keep them, and it was uh, from the Paris Review. And it was literally just like a, a slip of paper, not even like any nice paper, just like sheet or cheap sheet paper cut out in the size of a card that goes in your wallet. And it said, thank you for submitting. <laughs> so that's it. Yeah, just, just that. And he's like, yep, that's my favorite one. Not even worth two more letters. Thank you for submitting, but no. Yeah. No, no, just thank you for submitting. I, it should just be like, thanks, period. Yeah. <laughs> and like you would get it. All right, oh so gosh. we are cruising all the way toward the end. So let's get your social stuff before we call it an afternoon. Yeah, people should definitely go check out his Instagram. But. Right, but you expect to be less active on Instagram? Uh, for the most part, yeah. I'm going to try to keep up a presence, but it's not going to be as active as I was where I was posting two, three, four times a day. Oh, Jesus. Um, so. Intense. <laughs> That's a lot. But what, anyway, uh, so where can we find you on Instagram and all of those things? Uh, just at Cody Pointer, um, C-O-T-Y-P-O-Y-N-T-E-R, all one word. All right. Facebook and Twitter? Or? Uh, I got rid of my Twitter. I'm distancing myself from social media. Uh, but Facebook, yeah, C-O-T-Y-P-O-Y-N-T-E-R. All right, find great. me on there. And we'll make sure we put all the links and, well, the ones that are active, and we'll make sure they all end up on the uh, author po- uh, podcast page, and we'll also make sure we have the link to your reading as well. Uh, you, uh, uh, Cody, read several of his poems for, for us earlier, so. You're in charge of saying thank you to the author. Oh, that's my job. All right, well, thank you very much for being here, Cody. Thank you for having me. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. 
To hear more behind-the-story stories, visit us at www.saltwatermedia.com. Want to hear more? Just subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Want other people to hear more? Give us a great review on iTunes. Tell your story.